0: Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorne. On today's podcast, we've got an interview with the historian and author Serhii Plokhi, whose book, Chernobyl, History of a Tragedy, won last year's Bailey Gifford Prize for Non-Fiction. Our world history editor, Matt Elton, met him in London to find out more about the Soviet nuclear disaster. And they also discussed the recent HBO series that dramatized the events of 1986.
2: So your book is about Chernobyl. Um, What is the incident that we're describing and when did it happen? Well, uh,
3: one of the reactors of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, in particular that was unit number four, exploded. And that happened in the early hours of uh, April 26, 1986. Uh, Anywhere between 50 to 200 million curie of radiation was released that time. So these are um, hundreds of Hiroshima-type bombs in terms of the, the radiation exposure. And uh, that radiation was spread not evenly, but was spread all over Europe. The um, Soviets remained to be silent about what happened. And uh, the first time the world heard that something terrible really happened, they, they didn't know yet what, uh, it was on April 29, so really three days after that happened, and it didn't come from Moscow, it came from... Uh, Stockholm. It came from Sweden, where on their nuclear power plant in Uppsala, uh, they uh, suddenly discovered that the radiation levels were going up. They thought that there was something terrible happening with their nuclear power plant they looked around everything was okay they checked every other nuclear power plant and every other nuclear power reactor in sweden and still that was okay and then they decided okay where where is the wind blowing and it was coming from the other side of the baltic it was coming from the soviet union so that's that's how the world learned that the the uh, chernobyl happened and chernobyl today in terms of the uh, its impact on on, on on environment, its impact on, on human health, uh, the, the amount of radiation released is uh, uh, the worst uh, nuclear disaster in world's history. So unfortunately, we had after that Fukushima, again, Fukushima is not, is not up there, it's, it's, it's relatively close, but it's not up there, so it's, it's still the worst uh, nuclear disaster. Uh, and uh, uh, there is still a lot, a lot to be learned about it if you don't want things like that happen in the future.
2: We should rewind to the opening of this plant. Um, when did it open? And to what extent was the project defined by shortcuts and by risk the whole way through?
3: Well, the uh, Soviets were playing a catch-up game with the United States. Uh, we certainly know that story, or people who know something about the Cold War know that that was the the situation with the first atomic bomb, and then and then hydrogen bomb but little known that that was also the story with nuclear um, uh, energy and production of electricity. The Soviets, uh, interestingly enough, produced the first uh, nuclear power reactor, but it was more for um, kind of a show purposes that, okay, that that can be done. But the US uh, and then Britain started to produce first really commercial big big reactors and nuclear power plants, and the Soviets were uh, playing catch-up game. Uh, they um, uh, the way how they did that, they entrusted the same ministry, the same people who created the bomb with creating of the of reactors for the, for the um, uh, producing electricity. It's not very unique. again, the, the, the same kind of people worked in the US and in UK on both projects. but in in the Soviet Union, that was the same ministry. They're the, the same bureaucracy, the, the, the same people who are doing that. And they developed two type of reactors. One of them that exploded in Chernobyl was called RBMK, and that was a water graphite reactor. Graphite, it's, it's basically a very dangerous thing to have in the reactor uh, in, here in UK in 1957. Graphite went on fire, so the Soviets were supposed to learn those lessons, but they believed that reactors go on fire or, or, or get close to meltdown only in the capitalist world. It, it was impossible under socialism. So they went ahead with that, with that model. It was the plant, the first plant was built near the city of, then it was called Leningrad, now it is St. Petersburg, and it was run by the military industry. And then after that, that technology was passed to the civic industry. But what they didn't pass, they didn't pass actually everything that they learned about that reactor and reactor had major, major problems. But again, that was the, the, the Soviet Union was a country where the, 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 the culture of secrecy, was really overriding the emerging culture of safety, and uh, one of the reasons for why a reactor exploded was that that information about deficiencies of the reactor were not shared even with people within the industry itself. So people at Chernobyl nuclear power plant didn't know that there were problems with the reactor and they were not informed about the accident that happened um, 11 years earlier in 1975.
2: How important a factor was political pressure to finish this project quickly, to meet targets, all this kind of thing?
3: Uh, the, the, the pressure was there. And uh, the, the interesting thing about the Soviet system is that um, everything is owned by the government. So what that practically means is that uh, the, the government commissions the construction of the plant. The government is building the plant. The government then operates the plant. And... Uh, uh, it's done by different ministries maybe, but at the top of that is the party and party coordinates all of that. And it pushes the, the, the um, uh, let's say, the director of the plant to sign the paper saying that he thinks that the reactor is actually completed, that it's good, that everything is done. And the task that they were, write, that they were running at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant when the explosion happened, it was supposed to happen a long time ago but they already signed the paper that it, was, that it was done. And that's where the political pressure comes in. One more example is uh, uh, two months before Chernobyl exploded. Uh, there was a very important event in the Soviet political life at that time. It was the 27th Party Congress, a huge congress, where they were adopting plans for the next five years, Uh, The the, um, Congress was also important because that was the first Congress where Mikhail Gorbachev was present as already general secretary, as the leader of the party and the leader of the government. And they passed a resolution to double the, 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 the amount of the nuclear power reactors that they would build in the next five years compared to whatever was the number that they built in the previous five years. How they were going to do that? By cutting the time that was allocated to the, uh, to the uh, construction of the reactor from seven years to five years, I means cutting corners. And uh, uh, in, in, in the history of Chernobyl, which was built before that, but there was a lot of this situation where the they, they, they used the materials, inflammable materials that were not supposed to use. For example, bitumen on on, on the on the roof of the reactor that eventually uh, was really the, the fire started right away. And they they were cutting also costs by building um, like duplexes, the two, two reactors together. You save a little bit on additional walls. They also saved on the machine hall. There was a machine hall that united all four reactors of all four units that were at Chernobyl at that time. What that meant that once the explosion happened at reactor number four, the fire started in the machine hall and it could get also to all this through that machine hall. There was a lot of oil and other materials that could easily go on fire that it could get to other reactors as well. So that is that is uh, the the terrible situation that, that that was created by a particular type of a political system, the the system of government, the 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 way how, how how economy worked in the Soviet Union.
2: Because of those factors, is it fair to say that this was a an accident waiting to happen rather than just a freak accident?
3: Uh, I, I would say exactly that was the accident that waited to happen uh, again, and th- there was there was similar accident but didn't end so badly at, at the Leningrad power plant in 1975 it didn't end so badly because they had a more experienced crew of operators at that time and they were a uh, 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 Putting inserting the the uh, control rods into the reactor manually actually because the, the 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 machines didn't work anymore it it wasn't it wasn't enough the uh, in Chernobyl that happened uh, uh, during night shift with most of people uh, who were really um, not really experienced in what they were doing they they were just uh, the the original plan was to have that during the day with much more experienced shift. And what happened, two things came together. One thing were these deficiencies with the reactor, and no one knew about that. And second one was that really low safety culture. The operators believed that they could do almost anything with the reactor and then press the... Uh, uh, a scram button, red button, and it would just shut down automatically. And that didn't happen. They, they pressed that button, and because of the deficiencies of the reactor, the level of the uh, re- reaction went went up instead of going down. They were describing the situation that they had, uh, saying, let's say you're going at a high speed in a car, and you hit the brakes, and instead
2: of brakes, actually it is an accelerator, how did those people react when they realized that something was really badly wrong?
3: Denial. One thing, they were not prepared um, in terms of their training, that anything like that could happen. I, I told you before that that there was this belief that under socialism, reactors don't explode. It's, it's only half a joke because that, that, that belief was there there was belief in the safety of the of the Soviet of, of the Soviet uh, uh, nuclear industry as a whole uh, the uh, firefighters who were there they, they were attached to the nuclear power plant they were never trained to deal with um, uh, rising levels of radiation they, they were trained to deal with regular f- fires putting them down. So that, that was one thing. So it, it, they were not prepared. It was difficult for them to imagine. And then once they, they, they started to understand that, okay, it's just bigger than what they thought, there was a denial on the psychological level. Because what, what does this mean? That you just exploded half of the world. You don't know where it starts, where it ends. This is your responsibility. And if this is the case, you don't know what to do. So uh, it, it took uh, uh, because of that, and then because it's only the high party officials could could announce that certain things happened. It took almost uh, uh, twenty-four hours, not exactly, but maybe twenty hours before the the, the diagnosis was was there and, and said, okay, that the reactor is gone. It is a meltdown, and it was the vice prime minister of the Soviet Union who arrived and made that conclusion
2: on the spot. What um, techniques were used to try and um, stop this disaster from unfolding. Well, they tried everything. So um, uh,
3: the the uh, authoritarian regimes are generally very bad and, at at handling <laughs> a lot of things. And and I, I, I described many of them. And this is secrecy, and this is and this is also uh, basically the the fact that you are. Um, you're both a contractor and you're a customer and, and so on and so forth. But what they're good at is uh, at mobilization of the resources. And once they realized what was going on, they were trying anything uh, or everything or w- whatever they could, but they didn't know what to do. And uh, uh, till today, we are not sure whether what they were doing actually was Helped or didn't help, because one of the things that they did, they decided, okay, let, let's shut down that that reactor by dropping a lot of clay and a lot of sand and uh, chemicals on the uh, on that opening in, in the reactor, and uh, they did that at a huge, not just risk, but uh, actually a sacrifice on the part of those pilots, because they 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 were flying above the reactor, they got enormous amount of radiation. Many of them died later. Uh, they, they were trying uh, to build um, uh, underground tunnels and then create um, concrete plate under the reactor, not to allow the so-called uh, Chinese syndrome to occur. What, what that means really is that the uh, uh, re- uh, fuel uh, from, from the reactor, can burn its way to the water level. And in that way, poison uh, poison water supply. And in, in Ukraine at that time, 30 million people depended on uh, water coming from Dnieper. So they were trying all sorts of things. And today, more and more people believe that actually the dropping all that sand, it actually was worse because it, um, now they will have to deal somehow to... to to get this 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 sand out out of there, that also led to raising the temperature within the reactor because it was not open anymore. It was closed, and the reaction was going on. So there was a another mini explosion, but could be a big one if they would be more successful in, in closing it. Um, and the 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 conclusion today again, there is it's still there are many opinions, but. From what I read, its conclusion that it, it was just burning and it stopped burning when there was no any more graphite to to, to to be burned.
0: Still to come on the History Extra podcast.
3: But the principles why the nuclear power plants were built were the same like in the West, except that in the Soviet Union they were trying to meet the production quotas. In both cases, there is this, this, this desire to cut corners and save costs, and, and this is very dangerous and very serious oversight is needed.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster.
2: who were the people that really suffered who uh, lived closest to the power plant
3: uh, well uh, the, the uh, really two kilometers away from the plant uh, there was a town that was built at the same time when they were built in the plant it was called Pripyat the the place is known as Chernobyl and the nuclear power plant is known as Chernobyl that because they gave it name before the, that, that city was built and that city was called Pripyat so it was between forty-five and 50,000 people. They were actually evacuated probably um, one day and a half after the explosion. And then they created first a 10-kilometer exclusion zone and then 30-kilometer exclusion zone. And more than 100,000 people altogether were removed from there over the period of uh, a little bit more than one month. So during late April and uh, the the entire uh, month of May of 1986. Uh, The problem was that at that time, they really didn't know yet. They didn't have the map of the fallout. The the fallouts, the nuclear fallouts continued. So the government built housing, sometimes temporary, sometimes not, for many of those people who ended up to be living in actually more contaminated areas than the areas from which they were removed. Uh, Because within 30-kilometer zone, there are some areas that are actually as clean as uh, hopefully some parts of of UK or London or something like that, and, and others that are super dirty. Uh, because the way how uh, radiation traveled, it traveled first with wind, and second, it traveled, uh, it, it, was, it was getting to the ground with rain. And some areas just got lucky and others got very unlucky. But the, the uh, Soviet government was uh, um, trying to decide who would be more lucky and who would be less lucky. We just learned uh, in the last few years about a, a classified, highly classified operation, which was called Cyclone. And what that was, was that the pilots were... Going into the into these um, radioactive clouds and releasing chemical chemicals that were supposed either to make those clouds to seed rain or make those clouds to hold it on and, and rain somewhere else. And the idea was to protect big cities from uh, uh, the the uh, um, radioactive rain. Uh, Moscow in particular, Kiev as well. But what that meant—that all of that rain eventually, eventually fell uh, in mostly in the countryside. The problem was that those people were never informed that they were—they they, they, they were paying price for lucky people in big cities.
2: Are there any individual stories that stand out for you?
3: Well, uh, uh, absolutely, and. Uh, uh, one One of them is the story uh, that uh, probably quite a few of, of for listeners and readers would would know about. Uh, this is the story of academician Legasov, Valery Legasov, the, the person who was the first to start telling truth about, about Chernobyl and what happened there. Um, he is, he is a, a, in a HBO Sky miniseries. He is certainly a, a, a hero. Uh, in my story, he is also close to the, to, to the to, to, to hero, but again, it's much more, as always, much more complex story. He, he started to tell the truth. He was shunned for that by his own um, colleagues, Uh, They thought that he he, uh, gave away too much information, but he was also personally suffering from the fact that he didn't tell all the truth. He still stuck to the official version at that time that it was all operator's fault. And there was their responsibility there, but he was absolutely silent about problems with the reactors. Um, so and and the 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 book is full of characters like that, which are neither villains nor 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 uh, heroes, or maybe heroes or villains at the same time, because many people who caused uh, or contributed to the to the uh, disaster to, to the accident were also the first victims of that accident, uh, and uh, that's that also what made. Research interesting for me, and I hope that that also what makes the book actually not one-dimensional or just black and white more interesting for the readers.
2: You mentioned the HBO miniseries there. What was your thoughts about it? Do you think it did a fair kind of job at telling the story? Uh, well, uh, first of all, i'm I'm
3: really grateful to them in terms of that they they put extra effort in trying to get it accurate in terms of how people looked like. Uh, how they behaved, who they were. Most of of people in in the miniseries actually real people, based on, on on real people and real stories. And this is this is extraordinary, given that this is this is still a feature. This is a, still a feature film. Uh, that being said, of course, they they had to cut a couple of corners, or maybe didn't understand fully the, some cultural and political realities of of, of, of the time. One of those things is that uh, the, 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 the you see everywhere there are KGB officers going and arresting people and so on and so forth. So the party official threatening someone to throw from, from the helicopter. Uh, now, <laughs> N- nothing of that happening. And I, I'm saying, well, one thing is KGB was a secret police. <laughs> but... What what uh, they had to show that visually somehow. and they they maybe didn't get everything right. But in terms of the big picture, the big truth about Chernobyl, the atmosphere that that led to that, that atmosphere of secrecy, the, the authoritarian regime, the control that was there, they got that absolutely right. So uh, and uh, I, I I spent good part of this summer in Ukraine. Uh, presenting the book and also talking to people who were um, at the nuclear power plant at that time, one of the operators uh, who was there, people who worked there. Uh, and uh, their, their uh, take is, is overall positive. Again, they point to a lot of inaccuracies, but they, they actually are glad that, that that movie is out there. Uh, that means that what they did, uh, their life, the the tragedy of their life, or actors of heroism is not is not forgotten, and it's interesting. One of the episodes in the in the miniseries is about the three driver uh, three divers who went to in in the area where they put again during the first hours they were trying to do something they were pumping a lot of water which turned out to be then hazard this is one of the examples when they were trying to do things and it eventually it turned worse not 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 helping the situation so eventually they put those people there and uh, it was believed that they they probably didn't survive that that uh, in fact, they survived, and the makers of, of, the, of the miniseries, they knew about that. Uh, after miniseries were out, the president of Ukraine awarded three of them the highest award in the country, the hero of Ukraine. Um, um one of them uh, died in 2005. Uh, two others are still alive, not in great health or great shape, but, but they're still around. Uh, but that's that's also the, 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 the impact that the miniseries had
2: on, on, on the place where, where the t- tragedy happened. Talking about uh, impact... Do you think that we can see this uh, disaster as being the key moment in the unravelling of the Soviet Union?
3: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is uh, directly related to the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, uh, which happened um, uh, five years, a little bit more than five years after Chernobyl. And uh, it's not the the explosion itself. It's not the the certainly huge damage to to ecology or or the the, the financial cost, economic cost of what happened there. It's the cover-up, as often happens, that that, uh, led to mass mobilization in some of the key Soviet republics at that time. Uh, uh the the first mass mobilization were not about issues of ideology or or or, or um, uh, allowing political organizations to exist or even freedom of speech or anything of that kind. that was about anti-nuclear protest and uh, mobilization around the issues of ecology and environment, environmental movement. Then it developed from there. It developed into political movements for independence of key republics. And the the, the first mobilization, anti-nuclear mobilization happened in 1988 in uh, a small Baltic Republic of Lithuania which had the, the clone of Chernobyl nuclear power plant. By the way, HBO Sky miniseries, were, most of that was shot not in Chernobyl, but at that nuclear power plant, Ignalina nuclear power plant in Lithuania, which is decommissioned now. So there was 20,000 people that the, 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 the so-called the chain of life that they surrounded that plane that that was the first mobilization and out of that was born the movement for independence of lithuania and the same story is is uh, in ukraine as well and lithuania happened to be the first soviet republic that declared independence in march of 1990 so uh, chernobyl happened in april of 86 march of 1990 so you 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 already have uh, again uh, the, the the declaration of independence and Ukraine does that in December of 1991 and once Ukraine did that the Soviet Union fell apart within the next really week and the the. the three republics that dissolved it. it's also very interesting. Russia, Ukraine and Belarus were also the republics that suffered the most from nuclear. And uh, it, it, it was a very short terrorist kind of a communique or agreement that they signed in December of 1991. But one of the of the uh, items there was Chernobyl and they pledged that all three would work together uh, at
2: uh, dealing with the consequences of Chernobyl. Can we still feel those uh, echoes today? And how do you like your book to change how we remember this incident? Uh,
3: well, one thing is that it's it's really easier to, to uh, say that well Chernobyl belongs to a different era. There was a Communist Party, there was a authoritarian regime and uh, uh, the directors were not uh, had major problems. Uh, today, there are only two reactors of that kind running still in Russia. The, the rest are decommissioned. Uh, the communist system is not there. The Soviet Union is gone. So it's easy to say that, OK, it's it really belongs to history. And we can forget about that and, and again study. But one of the arguments that I'm making in the book that there is a lot in Chernobyl story that is still around us today and, and a lot to be learned from it. And one thing that I, 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 can, I can tell you right away is the fact that um, the um, uh, Soviet system, it wasn't market economy system, uh, but, but the principles why the nuclear power plants were built were the same like in the West, except that in the Soviet Union, they were trying to meet the production quotas, And in the West, it's business. In both cases, there is this, this this desire to cut corners and save costs, and, and this is very dangerous and what that means that the, the really oversight, very serious oversight is needed. Another important um, important lesson uh, is, again, that that goes back to authoritarian regimes, whether they're communists or not. Today, the next frontier for the construction of nuclear power plants, is not UK, it's not, it's not Europe. Germany is trying to get out of that, Japan is trying to get out. Uh, nuclear got bad name in the US as well, it's Middle East. This is the areas that are not known for their democratic governments. And, and that, these are also uh, states and, and regimes that want to use nuclear power as a backdoor to get uh, atomic bombs. Uh, and uh, that is, that is uh, something that also was happening in the Soviet Union, the, this close relationship and, mm, between uh, military and, and, and uh, civilian parts of the projects. Uh, so it, uh, I, I, uh, it is a part of history, but I also want to think about that book as also a warning.
0: That was Serhii Plokhii. Surhee's book, Chernobyl, History of a Tragedy, is available now, published by Penguin. For more on 20th century history, including an eyewitness account of the aftermath of Chernobyl, head to our website, historyextra.com. Thanks for listening. Today's podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. We'll be back on Thursday, when we'll be discussing the history of war trauma.